beginning our series today on the Lord's Prayer. And um, through, the, through the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us how to pray. And so we're going to be taking the Lord's Prayer line by line all the way up through Easter. And as the word's gotten out about the series, I've had several people come up to me and they've all said something along these lines, said, Matt, I'm so glad that we are going to be talking about prayer because prayer is something that I need to work on. How many, how many of y'all would agree with that, that prayer is something you need to work on? A lot of us in this room. I honestly put myself in that same category. If, if you were to list out all the spiritual disciplines and you made me pick the one that I need to personally grow in, it would absolutely be prayer. And I don't think that's a good thing. Because I want you to imagine for a second that you didn't know anything about Christianity. You weren't a believer, you knew nothing about it. Let's say you're in college and you were doing a term paper on the New Testament church. And for your research, you pulled out the Bible and you started reading the book of Acts on how the New Testament, the first century church operated. One of the things that would be blaringly obvious to you is that the first century Christians, the New Testament church was known for, and they were marked by a devotion to prayer. And let me read this to you in Acts 2.42. Don't turn there, let me just read it. It's talking about the New Testament church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The New Testament church, the earliest believers, when you looked at their life, they were deeply, deeply committed and devoted to prayer. And you don't have to go very far in the Bible to see that prayer is meant to be a central part of our lives. I want to read some quotes to you from some famous theologians. The first one's from Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor in England in the 1800s. He says, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of your prayer life. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, theologian, he said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest and his best when he is on his knees, face to face with God. I love that. And then there's the famous quote from the modern day theologian, M.C. Hammer, who said, you got to pray just to make it today, right? You've heard that one. Now, Reverend Hammer, I think, hit the nail on the head, no pun intended. If we're gonna make it through the day in a God-honoring way, in a holy way, if you look at the Bible, you see that we've got a people that is committed and dependent on prayer. Now, I believe that every single one of you in this room that is a believer would say a hearty amen to those quotes. You, you agree with every single thing that those men said. And yet, how many of us can honestly say that we're marked by a consistent devotion to prayer? I, I, I would imagine that if we took a poll on the consistency of our prayer lives, we'd find that most of us pray before meals. Um, I think that a lot of us... Um, pray for a few minutes before our time with the Lord. Maybe we throw up a prayer here and there, but I would guess that a lot of us look at prayer a lot like we look at a spare tire on a car. 
Like we know it's there, we know it's important, but the only time we really pull that thing out is when there's a blowout. Y'all know what I'm saying? And somewhere along the way from the New Testament church until the 21st century church, we have drifted away from Christians being marked and devoted to a consistency in prayer. I think that's a problem. Because who are we followers of as Christians? Jesus, that's right. We are followers of Christ. And if you spend any time at all looking at the life of Jesus and his three years here on this planet, one of the things you're gonna realize is that Jesus, maybe more than any other thing, spent more time than any other thing in prayer. I wanna read to you three verses that just give us a picture of Jesus' prayer prayer life. First one is in Luke 5, 16. It says, but he, that's Jesus, would often withdraw to a desolate place and pray. He would often withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And then Luke 6, 12. And these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So when you just look at the life of Jesus, who we're supposed to be following, it was blaringly obvious that Jesus prayed all the time. Now that begs a question, what kind of situations were going on in his life that caused him to pray so much? Or I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read those same verses to you, okay? Except what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to read to you the verse immediately before the verses I just read to you, and I wanna show you the context of what was causing or driving Jesus to pray. So Luke 5, 15 says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And then 16, I read to you, but he would often withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Let me ask you guys a question. What do you think the number one reason people give for not praying? Don't shout it out, but if you think about like why you don't pray, what, what do you think the number one reason is? I was thinking about my own life, and I think probably the number one reason I would excuse I might give for why I don't pray more is busyness, right? We're too busy. We've got too much going on in our lives, and so we don't take the time like Jesus did to pray. But when you look at these verses, what do these verses say was going on in Jesus' life? He was busy. He was at the stage of his ministry where he was at the height of his popularity and crowds of people, crowds of people were clamoring for his time and his attention. And yet when Jesus Christ was at his busiest was when he prayed the most. What's another excuse that we give besides the fact we're busy for why we don't pray? I know for me, one of them I give is a lot of times I'm, I'm too tired, right? I get to the end of a, a crazy, chaotic day and I feel overwhelmed and so I just wanna unplug my brain and not think about or engage anything. But I want you to listen to what was going on in Jesus' life in Mark chapter one. First of all, Mark chapter one, we find out that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was about to be beheaded. He was in prison. He loved his cousin. And so he's, he's struggling with that. Peter, Jesus' 
arguably best friend, Peter's mother, is severely ill. And so he's got two things that are really big going on in his life. And I want to show you, if that were not enough, look at Mark 1.32. Same context. John the Baptist in prison. Peter's mom's sick. And then look at Mark 1.32. Here's what else was going on. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And then and look at 33, you find out how much all is. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Guys, you think you're having a rough day? You think you're, you're overwhelmed? Jesus was having a rough day. His cousin's about to be beheaded. His best friend's mother is sick. And he gets done. And at the end of the day, he's about to chill. And he opens up the door and the whole city is standing outside saying, we need to be healed and you need to cast out my demons. Okay, that's a pretty rough day. And I don't know about you, but if I have a day like that, I'm sleeping in. Can I get an amen? Right? Let's look at what Jesus did the next morning. Very next morning, Mark 135. And rising very early in the morning, when it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. When life became the most overwhelming is when Jesus made prayer his highest priority. Now, what about the all night one? What about the all night one? That's a lot of praying, y'all with me? I, I'm a pastor, I have never done that. I just wanna confess to y'all, I've never prayed all night. What was going on in Jesus' life that the man prayed all night long? Well, here's what was going on. The Pharisees were fed up with Jesus. They were getting sick and tired of his popularity and they were making the decision that they wanted to kill him. That's the context, Luke 6, 11. It says, but they were filled, talking about the Pharisees, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Very next verse, verse 12. And in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer with God. I cannot tell you how many times in my life, and I thought about this, when I'm going through a season of conflict, I'm going through a season of opposition, I'm going through a season of difficulty, and I get so busy trying to fix the problem, trying to work the plan to fix the problem that it hits me halfway through it, I haven't even stopped and prayed about this. And yet when Jesus is facing the greatest um, level of opposition, both physically and spiritually in his life was when he prayed the most. And I don't know about you, but that is convicting to me. When Jesus experienced the greatest level of busyness, when he experienced the greatest level of fatigue and chaos, when Jesus' physical and spiritual opposition was at its highest level, his first move was not to work harder, his first move was not to get the disciples together and, and uh, plan a work and work a plan. When Jesus was experiencing the highest, most intense levels of busyness, fatigue, chaos, and opposition, his first move, Jesus' first move was to hit his knees. It's to hit his knees. Now here's the thing, if there's anybody in the world, anybody in the world that we would think wouldn't need to pray, it'd be Jesus, he's God incarnate for crying out loud. And yet when you look at his life, he prayed all the time. And if Jesus prayed all the time, let me ask you a question. What does that say to us about the necessity of prayer? 
if Jesus did it all the time, what does that teach us about the power of prayer? It teaches us that, and I want you to hear this, for Jesus, when, when life was the busiest, prayer was his source of power. For Jesus, when life became the most overwhelming, prayer was his calm in the storm. When, when conflict and opposition was at its highest level, prayer was the refuge that he, he ran to And so why not as followers of Christ is prayer not that for us? Why not? Now, before you get down on yourself and and you're like, well, Matt, I'm glad I came to church today. I just discovered one more thing that I'm not very good at. Um, If you struggle in your prayer life, I want you to know you're in good company. You're in good company because Jesus' own disciples were not very good at it either. And uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse one, I want you to watch this. It's an interesting little verse. In Luke 11, 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now I want you to notice something again that's interesting about this verse. Again, Jesus is praying. He gets finished. And then one of the disciples looks at him and says, Hey, Jesus, would you please teach us how you did that? Would you teach us how to pray? Now I say that's interesting because there's only two examples that I'm aware of, of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something. The first one was uh, demon possession, casting out a demon. This kid was demon possessed and the disciples tried to cast out the demon and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus walks up to the guy, cast out the demons. And the disciples are like, that's cool, Jesus, come here. And so they bring Jesus kind of over alone and they look at him and say, man, how did you do that? How did you do that? And he said, this, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. Okay, now here's the thing. Why did they ask Jesus to teach them how to cast out the demon? Because they didn't know how to do it. They weren't very good at it. As a matter of fact, the only reason that you ask somebody to teach you how to do something is if you don't know how to do it. That's why you ask. Teach me. I was, um, how many golfers we got in here? We got any golfers in the room? Raise your hand. I want to see if, you, if you're a golfer. Okay, if you don't, that's fine. So um, I, I played golf in high school and I gave it up when I went to college, and so I don't play very often anymore, but um, I was playing golf with a guy that was on the PGA Tour for a while. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know his name, but we were at, playing at the Austin Country Club back in the day, and we were on a par five, and don't have time to explain what a par five is if you don't know what a par five, but it's a really long hole, okay? And so the guy hit his drive, hit it a long way, and we walked out to the fairway, and in this hole in Austin Country Club, the ground is just level like this, and literally you get to this part, and there's on the right side of the fairway, there is a hill that goes up really steep. Like, there's my feet, it goes straight up. And the guy's ball landed on the side of the hill right there, and he's got about a 250-yard shot to the hole. Well, he pulls out a two-iron, and the, the ball is about waist-high, about chest-high with him. He pulled out a two-iron and did it like this. And just hit it like a baseball. And I kid you not, before Jesus Christ, that dude hit that ball about an inch and a half from the hole. And I looked at him and my mouth dropped open and I said, how did you do that? And he said, well, I could tell you, but you're never gonna be able to do it, right? And he's right. The reason I asked him to teach me is because I did not know how to do it. Well, the only other thing that I'm aware of that disciples ever asked, Jesus, would you please teach us 
How to do it was prayer. He prays. They get, he gets finished. They look at him and say, would you please teach us how to do that? And his response, hear this. When they asked him to teach him how to pray, his response was not to assume they ought to know how. He didn't scold them. But what he did was he taught them how to pray. And what he used to teach them how to pray was the Lord's prayer. And so let's turn quickly here, Matthew 6, 9. And I want you to look at the first thing Jesus says. Now keep in mind, they've asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. This is the first thing he says. This is the first line of the Lord's prayer. But I want you to look at Matthew 6, 9 at the very beginning because he says something that is crucial for you understanding this entire series. Jesus begins and he says, pray then like this. I want you to notice something, church. I want you to notice what he does not say. Let's leave that up for a second, guys. He doesn't say, pray then these words. He says, pray then like this. And that's important. Because what's the Lord's prayer become in modern society? The Lord's prayer has become this uh, prayer that people memorize and just quote word by word. I don't think that was ever Jesus' intention at all. Um, in high school, I played football, and we used to memorize, we memorized the Lord's Prayer, and we prayed it before every football game, which was fascinating because there wasn't a single one of us on that football team living it out. But what I thought else was interesting is the coach, he would be giving his pregame speech, he'd be trying to fire us up, and this was, this was not a private Christian school, this is this is uh, East Texas, 4A high school football. And so dude would be cussing like a sailor, getting us fired up. And at the end, he said, let's pray. And then all of us would, by memory, together, our Father, art in heaven, how be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, is in heaven, give us this day, you get it? And then, ah, we'd scream and go out and we'd play football. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. As a matter of fact, a couple of verses earlier, he intentionally says that don't pray repetitious prayers. And so look again at what he says, Matthew 6, 9. He says, pray then like this. And so when Jesus says pray like this, what that literally means in the original language is pray in this manner. Pray in this manner. And so one way to think about the Lord's prayer, and I want you to listen carefully, it's not a prayer that was meant to be memorized and spoken out loud, but the Lord's Prayer is a model for how to pray. It's a model for how you should pray. The Lord's Prayer is kind of like a blueprint, kind of like a blueprint. I've got a definition. I looked it up in the dictionary. Here's the definition of blueprint. Definition of blueprint, a detailed plan for how to do something. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. It's Jesus giving a detailed plan for how you and I should pray. And I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful this is in the Bible that the Lord gives us a plan in the Bible about how to pray because if you've been around Christianity for a while, you, you've realized there's a lot of different models out there for how people can pray. I remember being a youth pastor, a young youth pastor, and I, this is a true story, I got really concerned that I was gonna find the right model to teach my kids how to pray. Uh, I remember um, reading up on one of the models um, for prayer, which is called Acts. Y'all ever heard of Acts? Let's bring that up. 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So when you pray, you start with adoration, and then you confess your sin, and then you say thanks, God, and then supplication, which is you're asking for stuff, and that's a model. It's called that. There's another model that's actually called, it's, it's really creative. It's called pray. It's called pray. Check it out. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. And as a young youth minister, I remember um, being really confused. Like, which one of those am I supposed to use? Like, what if, what if I used Acts, but God's really a pray guy? You know, what if I use pray, but God's kind of an Acts guy? Is God not gonna hear my prayers? Well, here's the thing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those models, except in the Lord's prayer, Jesus gave us a model. He gave us a model. He comes right out and says it. When you pray, pray in this manner. So that's what we're gonna do for the next few weeks. Gonna go line by line through the Lord's Prayer because each one of those lines is a critical part of the blueprint for how you should pray. Now, the rest of my time today, here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna, uh, I wanna tell you what Jesus says right before he says, pray then like this. Because right before he says, pray then like this, what he does is he gives some examples of how not to pray, okay? He gives some examples about how not to pray. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. This is, this is kind of important. Through this section, I realized something. Through this section where Jesus is walking through how not to pray or how we shouldn't pray, Jesus is showing us two really important things about prayer. So if you're taking notes today, here are two things Jesus is gonna show us about prayer through this part about when he says not to pray. Number one, as Jesus has shown us the condition of our hearts. He's shown us the condition of your heart, what your condition of your heart should be when you pray. That's number one. Number two, he's gonna talk about what the primary purpose of your prayers should be. So that's the two things he's shown us, what the condition of your heart is when you pray, and number two, what the primary purpose of your prayers should be. And so let's look at the first thing he teaches us, what the condition of our heart should be when we pray. Look at Matthew 6, 5. He goes into this part in the scripture about how not to pray. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so the first thing Jesus teaches about how not to pray, he said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Who was Jesus describing when he's talking about the hypocrites? Well, he, was, he gives a hint, these guys that he calls hypocrites. He said they love to pray standing on the street corners and in the synagogues. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. Pharisees love to pray in front of people. Now, listen, when Jesus says don't pray like that, standing in the street corners in the synagogues, he's not saying not to pray publicly. He's not saying that it's bad to pray publicly because there's all kinds of examples in the scripture about people praying publicly in a good way. So listen carefully. What he's showing us is that the heart motivation for why they were praying publicly was all wrong. And we need to make sure we don't do the same thing. And then he describes us. He tells us exactly what the heart motive for why the Pharisees were praying. Look again, Matthew 6, 5. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He just comes right out and says it. 
is the heart motive for why the Pharisees were praying is because they love for people to see them pray. They thought it was awesome for people to look at them and think they were cool and religious and righteous. You ever, um, you ever been around a person like in public that was praying and it was pretty obvious that they were trying to sound cool when they were praying? I, um, I don't think we do this a lot, um, but I think Jesus is getting to the heart of something else here in a minute. But I have one memory that I can think of somebody that I very specifically remember they were praying and I think they were trying to sound cool. I went to uh, Central Baptist Church when I was at A&M. And the guy I was pastor there was Chris Osborne. He preached last summer, amazing preacher. One of his greatest legacies is how many senior pastors have come out of his church. We figured it out one time. During his 25 years, 75 guys came out of his church and became senior pastors. Pretty amazing legacy. What he does is every year he gets all the guys that were senior pastors, they're now currently senior pastors of churches, and he gets them together in Central Baptist, pays for the whole thing, and they bring us and our wives in for four days, and we just hang out and talk about how much problem our dickens are giving us, all right? And so... Um, I'm joking, not really, but anyway, and so that's what we do, but it's awesome, it's this amazing time, and you know, at, at this point in the story, I, I'm probably 42, 43, 44, mid-40s, and so I've been doing it for 15 years, and one of the guys um, came for the first time, and he was a young guy, dude was 29 years old, and he was a senior pastor in his first year, and you could tell that this guy was trying really hard to kind of impress everybody and fit in. And, um, and if you know Osborne, you know that is not how you want to approach things. One night, Chris Osborne, pastor over all of us, asked the guy to pray over dinner, right before dinner. And I kid you not, that dude probably prayed for five or six minutes before dinner. And he was using all these fancy theological seminary words. And he, he basically prayed through a doctoral dissertation on the tenets of salvation I think at one point he started praying for unreached people groups in Southeast Asia. And I kid you not, it's true. I looked up kind of, you know, about minute four of the prayer. I'm kind of ADD anyway. And so he lost me about minute two and a half, but this is like minute four. And he's still, he's just getting warmed up. I looked up, you're not supposed to do this, but I looked up at Chris Osborne and Chris Osborne was standing, staring at him just like this. When he got done, everybody relieved, looked up, and Osborne looked at him and said, nice sermon. Let's go eat, right? <laughs> Jesus said, don't pray like that, okay? Don't pray to be seen by men. And there's actually a really neat story, I'm gonna paraphrase it for you, where Jesus gives an example of this actually happening, and what he does is he compares and contrasts the, the prayer of a Pharisee he wanted to be seen by men. And then the prayer of a tax collector, which has the heart that I think Jesus is getting at, that we should have when we pray. So these two guys are in a public place. People are standing around. The Pharisee stands up in front of everybody, <clears throat> gives everybody's attention and says, God, start speaking to God in front of everybody. God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other men. I thank you that I'm not like all these adulterers and hypocrites and and even this tax collector guy right here, I'm glad I'm not like him, God. He's literally what he says, go look it up. Because I tithe, God. I, uh, I, I, I serve, God. I, I, I fast twice a week, and God, I just thank you that I'm basically so holy and amazing. Then Jesus described the prayer 
of the tax collector, which is a guy that nobody would have liked. And Jesus described the prayer of the tax collector and he said that the tax collector actually went off by himself where nobody could see him. And he got on his knees and Jesus said he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even turn his eyes to heaven and he started beating his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus in 1814 says, I tell you that this man, talking about the tax collector that beat his chest, that said, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified. He got saved rather than the other. And then he gets to the heart of, of why we're praying, what our heart position should be when we pray. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the first thing that Jesus is teaching us about prayer is what the posture, hear this, this is so important. It's what the posture of your heart should be when you enter into prayer and what the posture of your heart and my heart should be when we enter into prayer is humility. It's humility. That's what he's getting at. Humility. And you don't have to go very far in the Lord's prayer to see that that's what the Lord is asking of us when we enter into our prayer closets is that we enter into the prayer closet with humility. Little, little uh, foreshadowing of next week here. What is the first thing Jesus tells us to pray? What is it? Somebody shout it out. Our Father who art in heaven. That's the first thing. He says, you, you go into the prayer closet, you get alone, nobody's watching, you posture your heart of humility, you humble yourself, and the first thing you do is you remind yourself of who God is. It's the first thing you do. He is our Father who art in heaven, and that is key. Because what Jesus is reminding us that, yes, he is your Father, but he is your Father who's in heaven. That yes, God loves you and God is near to you, but make no mistake, he is above you. He's reminding us that yes, God is your friend, but he is also your Lord. And yes, you can boldly approach the throne of grace, but the only reason you can boldly approach the throne of grace is because of the spilt blood of Jesus Christ not because you're awesome. And so Jesus is teaching us here. When you approach God in prayer, you approach him with humility. As a matter of fact, I wanna, I wanna talk about this for a second because I, I think this ought to be a given. I've never understood, and I've been, I, I have struggled with arrogance in my life, but I fight it ferociously because an arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you have a spirit of arrogance about you, something's wrong. Something's off. In my previous church, when I was looking for men to be deacons, one of the first things that I do when somebody would get nominated, one of the first things that I do is I would intentionally go spend time with them in a casual setting and I was interviewing them, but they didn't know I was interviewing them. And one of the primary things I was looking for is, is the guy humble. 
Is he humble? If he was arrogant, if he was sarcastic, if he was condescending, we marked him off the list. I'm gonna tell you why, because if I saw arrogance consistently, here's what arrogance immediately told me. If a guy was walking around in a spirit of arrogance, what that was telling me was that this was a man that was not regularly spending time on his knees, humbling himself before the presence of Almighty God. And I don't want to be in a foxhole with Pharisees. I want to be in a foxhole with humble men of prayer. And that's why in Matthew 6, 5, he says, and so when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want y'all to hear this really carefully. If we know, if you know that you're gonna walk into the prayer closet and meet with Almighty God. You need to walk into that prayer closet with humility. And I'll make no mistake. If you have met with Almighty God, if you have met and encountered the presence of Almighty God, make no mistake, you will walk out of that prayer closet with humility. And so the first thing Jesus teaches us is what the condition of our heart should be when we pray, and that is humility. Here's the last thing. He actually teaches us in this second, don't pray like this, he's teaching us what the primary purpose of prayer is. Have you ever wondered why we pray? God's omniscient, right? Y'all with me? God knows everything. So why are we praying? With the second, do not pray like this, he actually is teaching us what I believe is the primary purpose of prayer. Matthew 6, 7 he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So he's talking about the pagan religion of the Gentiles and what they would do is they would just repeat phrases over and over and over again because they thought if they repeated their phrase enough that their God would hear them and do what it is they wanted them to do, him to do. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't pray that way. Now I want you to listen. What Jesus said was, the reason for why we're not supposed to just repeat phrases to get God to do something. Listen to Matthew 6, 8, fascinating verse. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that fascinating? Just don't go to the prayer closet and just start rattling off your stuff to God, because guess what? God already knows what you need. He doesn't say that asking God for something is wrong. He just says there's something going on there that you need to understand before you ever ask him anything, he already knows what you need. And when you walk into the prayer closet, you need to keep that in mind. And this one was particularly convicting to me because if I'm honest, I was thinking about and evaluating my prayer life, I think so much of the majority of my prayer life is me walking in the prayer closet even if I do it humbly, and I just start rattling off my list of stuff I need God to do for me. And even if it's godly stuff, which most of the time is godly stuff, I just, I go really quickly. Maybe I rattle off a few pleasantries, God, I love you, and thank you, da, 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 and God, here's what I need. And I pray, I pray for godly things. I'm like, God, would you move powerfully in Sagemont? God, would you please speak through me in power when I preach for your glory? God, would you please give me wisdom to lead 
your people. God, would you protect my children and, and help them walk in integrity and walk in a way that honors you? And God, would you please help the Dallas Cowboys get a new owner in Jesus' name? These are all good and right and godly things. But Jesus says something fascinating. He goes, when you pray, don't heap up all these words because God already knows what you need before you ask him. So if the primary purpose of us entering into the prayer closet is not to ask God for what we need, because he already knows, what is the primary purpose for us entering into the prayer closet? And I'm convinced that what Jesus is saying is the primary purpose for us entering into the prayer closet is not to ask God what we what we need from him because he knows. I think the primary purpose is for you to connect with God. For you to connect with him. He already knows what you need. He wants to connect with you. Prayer at its heart is an opportunity for you to encounter the presence of God. For you to experience the presence of your heavenly father at its core, prayer is an act of worship. I don't know about you, but, but I completely forget that. I forget it. I approach God. I even do it in humility. But like I said, I approach God in my prayer time like my college kids approach me on the phone. You know how my college kids approach me on the phone? Here's how they do it. Hey, dad. I look down. I see that it's uh, my daughter. I'm like, oh, sweet. My daughter's calling me. Hey, baby, how are you? Oh, I'm good, Dad. How are you? Oh, Dad, I'm, I'm doing great. University of Arkansas is awesome. And Dad, I miss you so much. I miss you too, baby girl. So uh, how are you and Mom? You and Mom doing good? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing great. Um, and here it comes. Dad, I, um, I was wondering, um, spring break's coming up, and uh, there's a college ski trip here at University of Arkansas, and it's only $899. Would you, um, do you mind sending me some money? And, and dad, I just love you so much. Thank you so much. How, think about it. I want you to think about this illustration. If you're here, I want you to think about how much your prayer life and my prayer life is like that. We do the same thing. We jump into the prayer closet. Maybe even we do it humbly, but then we kind of start off with some pleasantries um, with God and say a few things. And then we just get right to the heart with like, God, I need you to do some stuff for me. So what if, think about this, what if the heart of my kids was actually, when they called me, not to ask for money, but it was actually because they, they wanted to talk to me. Like, what if that was really their heart? What if that's really what they wanted? That they called me because they didn't need something, they, they called me because they just wanted to connect. They just wanted to hear my voice. You know what would happen? I'm just, this is just from a worldly perspective, but I'm convinced that if they actually did that, that they just wanted to connect with me, I would be much more willing to pull out the wallet. I'd be asking them, what do you guys need? As a matter of fact, I thought about this. My daughter, when she was five years old, I'm almost done hanging with me. My daughter, when she was five, four or five, in the early, early, early days, one through three, she wasn't a big dad fan. She's, she loved her mom, wasn't a big fan of me, didn't know what to think about me. But then about four years old, everything changed. And she became a daddy's girl and I'll never forget it's like the first time this happened I was sitting in my chair watching tv she ran over she jumps in my lap she gets up 
and like gets right in my face and she took her hands. I, she took her hands and she put her hands around my cheeks like this. Looked me in the eye and she said, Daddy, I love you. And I looked at her and I pulled out my wallet. <laughs> and I was like, what you need, girl? You want my credit card? You want me to buy you a pony? Like, what is it that you want? Guys, listen, if you don't hear anything I say, I want you to hear this. The reason God wants you to pray is not to bring in the list. It's okay to bring the list, but I want you to know something. He already knows what you need. He wants you to come to him because he wants you to connect with him and want to be there with him. There's a quote. I'm almost done. There's a quote. I'll end today with this. There's this quote by St. Augustine, famous theologian, I think gets to the heart of this. He said, whether we realize it or not, prayer is meant to be the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Now, God's not thirsty, so what's that talking about? That's talking about desire. Desire. That's what that says, is that God's desire is that you would desire him. That's why you pray. So that you can come to the Lord and say, God, more than anything you have to give me, I want you. And I think that moves his heart. And I'm telling you something, after reading all this and thinking about all this, I'm being honest with you. I don't think God gives a rip about whether or not you can speak fancy seminary words. I, I honestly don't think he's super concerned with how long you pray. I don't think he's sitting up there with a stopwatch. And you only went 24 minutes today. I think the number one thing he's concerned with is your heart. Are you coming to him in humility? And are you coming to him so that you can connect with your heavenly father? Thank you for joining us for this message from God's word. We pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to you today. And if you would like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you would like to connect with Sagemont Church, please text keyword online to 70919 anytime, anyplace. Once again, text online to 70919. One of our pastors will be happy to connect with you. Sagemont Church is located in Houston, Texas, Visit our website at sagemontchurch.org and join us for worship Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. Central Time.